The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, everybody. Hi, I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike Adams this week. It's been a good ride so far. We've got a good show on tap for today. In a little bit, we're going to get an update on infrastructure and logistics with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Going to talk to markets in just a bit also with Steve Nicholson of Rabo Agrifinance. And also an update on the China trade situation. First, though, on this Thursday morning, we go to Washington, D.C. and check in with Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, how's your day going so far? Well, my day is going, uh, is going pretty well. Uh, the uh, Agriculture Department and the Health and Human Services Departments today are having a meeting of the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. Mm. And this is supposed to review the scientific evidence regarding what Americans should be eating. Um, and it, it's a prelude to the department's issuing guidelines next year. Okay, okay. Now, a lot going on in uh, Washington, D.C. Mourners, constituents uh, paying respects, of course, to Representative Elijah Cummings yesterday, uh, the Maryland congressman passing away last week at the age of 68. Uh, Hill Lion State uh, uh, today, as I understand, Jerry, at the uh, U.S. Capitol and Awaken Funeral, uh, a plan for Friday, as I understand, correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, in fact, I was just writing about the fact that the House is going to be out of session until Monday so that members of Congress can go to the funeral in Baltimore tomorrow. Um, his uh, body is arriving in, uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time today to uh, lie in state uh, until evening. Uh, and uh, tomorrow, uh, former Presidents Obama and Clinton and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton will all be speaking at the funeral. Okay. Now, some lawmakers said to be worried that the window to pass the Trump administration's renegotiated USMCA, that window could be uh, drawing and um, getting a bit more narrow. Obviously, uh, now with the House out of action, what kind of discussions will take place or won't take place between some of the House leaders and uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer? Well, it's an interesting question about how much that concern is politics or uh, or reality. Of course, every day that goes on that the that the uh, measure has not been brought up uh, makes the calendar tighter. Uh, yesterday, Senator Grassley went on the Senate floor and said he's worried that the Democrats aren't going to bring it up. Then uh, Senator Wyden, who is the highest-ranking Democrat on on the Finance Committee that Grassley chairs. Uh, said we've, we've got to do this agreement right. Uh, but after that, um, uh, Richard Neal, the chairman of House Ways and Means, uh, told reporters they've just met again with Lighthizer, the, the uh, trade representative, and that they are making good progress. So 
uh, it still seems to me that the Democrats want to show that they can do two things at once. They can do the impeachment inquiry and they can deal with important issues, uh, uh, most specifically the USMCA agreement. Yeah. Um, so I would say it still seems to be inching forward. Okay. Now, there are roughly around, uh, what, 20 legislative days left in the, in the year and in, in this time. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we've got these impeachment investigations and hearings and one devolved yesterday, but also we've got to pass some spending bills. Have we made any headway on those issues this week, Jerry? Well, a tiny bit. The Senate is technically taking up a group of, of the uh, uh, spending bills, of the appropriations bills, including the agriculture bill. Uh, and I am told by, by Senate staff that the Senate will pass their version of the appropriations bill uh, between, uh, probably by early next week, but there still isn't agreement between the House and the Senate on a conference report. So who knows? It, it's still possible we'll have to have another uh, short continuing resolution. I do think that they will pass the appropriations bills by the end of the year, but it could be December before it's finalized. Okay. Now, uh, talking with Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report, Washington, D.C., at a cabinet meeting earlier this week, you reported that uh, Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue defended the EPA's recent announcement uh, about how it's going to account for the, for these, these SREs. The president was scheduled yesterday to speak at an oil and natural gas conference in Pennsylvania. Any recent developments in that area? Jerry? Well, now there have been some documents released that showed that, that USDA actually disagreed with EPA in the interagency process. So when, uh, but they lost. And so uh, Purdue, being a good soldier, defended it. Um, so I think this is still very much in play. They're going to, they're taking public comments on the, on the proposal. And still I keep getting more emails from farm and ethanol groups uh, uh, being angry about this, saying that they don't believe this formula is going to work to use the 15 billion gallons per year that uh, is in the congressional mandate for the renewable fuel standard. Yeah, in fact, just yesterday, several groups filing that court petition in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. So uh, now we've taken it to the courts. It kind of makes you uh, wish for the simpler days when we just had a food versus fuel debate, and now we've got uh, SREs, refiners. This, this, uh, this argument, this controversy, uh, just not going away. Well, that's right, and I <clears throat> and I really see President Trump being torn here between his commitments to what he considers the manufacturing working class that's the core base of his support and his commitments to farmers, and he just keeps going back and forth about this, wanting to please everybody, and that's uh, pretty uh, uh, that's pretty impossible uh, because the. The oil industry and the ethanol industry have been at war over this issue ever since the RFS was established. Yeah. Now, thank you for your time uh, on this Thursday, Jerry. You're a, a regular guest for Mike, and, and uh, I always enjoy some of the insight that you bring from Washington, D.C. And a, as I understand, uh, before we, we say goodbye, you were recently in North Dakota visiting the family farm and just got out of Dodge before that big snow hit. Is that correct? <laughs> That is true. In fact, I got out between the snows. 
I was uh, I was out there to check on the family farm and visit some relatives and friends. And the uh, there was snow in the morning. I managed several flights were canceled, but my flight went out. And that night there was another 12 inches of snow. Uh, so uh, I uh, I was really lucky because I'm <laughs> sure more flights were uh, were canceled out uh, after that. Um, but my my uh, relatives now send me notes that the snow has melted yeah. and harvest has resumed. Yeah, we are certainly trying. And uh, and again, thanks for your time today, Jerry. And and uh, come on back anytime. But uh, maybe you might want to hold off until oh I don't know April May next year, unless you want to do something for the holidays. <laughs> I have to agree with you. I'll be back in May. Okay, super, super. Jerry Hagstrom of the Hagstrom Report in Washington, D.C., thank you for your time. We'll be talking transportation and logistics. That's coming up next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres. That's smart. With Credenz soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, everybody. I'm Rusty Halverson, sitting in for Mike Adams this week. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest on the show, a friend of mine from Central Iowa, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, Mike Steenhook. Mike, on this Thursday, where do we find you? Are you uh, on the road traveling uh, today? Well, I'm, I'm actually just in Central Iowa today. So, uh, so yeah, I've been traveling a bit to Washington, D.C., St. Louis, a number of places, but but back in central Iowa the, uh, the remainder of the week. Okay, well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Mike, you passed on recently an, an article to farm broadcasters from Reuters News that highlighted how China was exploring a significant investment in dredging in Argentina. Argentina, of course, folks probably know, the number three soybean-producing country after the U.S. and Brazil. Uh, the question you raised in the note to farm broadcasters, Mike, was if the Chinese government is willing to invest in channel deepening in Argentina, the U.S. government. Are we willing to invest in channel deepening here in the U.S.? Yeah, there's not a whole lot we can do uh, as farmers, as ag organizations, as as American citizens in general about what happens in other countries. But there's a whole lot we can do about what happens in the United States. And 
you know, I, I think, you know, it's very, we need to be very mindful of what is happening in some of these other countries with investment in infrastructure. Uh, we, we've seen this trend of Chinese investment in infrastructure in a host of countries, including our competitors, Brazil, and, and now we're seeing increasingly in Argentina. And, and so, you know, what I've repeatedly said is, if some of these other countries, like Brazil and Argentina, if they become the most economical supplier of soybeans on the planet, I hope it's because they've invested in their infrastructure, not because we've been lackadaisical in investing in our infrastructure. Yeah, so yeah. It, it really needs to be a, a stimulant for us to make sure that we're doing all that we can do to make sure that we're the most economical supplier of soybeans and other agricultural products on the world marketplace. Yeah, if we lose that competitive advantage, that's, that's when we're going to be in real trouble, especially when it comes to big customers like China. Yeah, and when you look at you know, the, the cost that a customer pays overseas, uh, the reason why historically we've been so competitive, it's not due to a lower cost of production. Uh, Brazil and Argentina historically are able to produce soybeans at a, at a lower price point, but we overcome that by having a more efficient transportation system. So ultimately the price that a, a customer pays is, is lower for U.S., particularly compared to Brazil. So um, you know, we need to maintain that competitive advantage. You, you, when you're investing in infrastructure, that's not a one-time activity. It needs to be a perpetual activity. Yeah. That's what great nations do. That's what great industries do. Yeah, yeah. The United Soybean Board recently announced a, a $2 million allocation to help offset some of the costs of deepening the lower Mississippi River from uh, 45 feet to 50 feet. That five feet doesn't sound like much, Mike, but uh, it sure makes a difference in, in our ability to ship products, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really is such a, a game of, you know, being able to get product from point A to point B at the lowest price point. And so anytime you can you can increase the volume and the velocity and the capacity of your of your infrastructure and an example of it is deepening the lower Mississippi River to fifty feet from forty five feet, you know, what you're essentially able to do is is attract larger ships to that part of the country. You're able to take current ships and load them heavier. And in our analysis shows about 500,000 additional bushels of soybeans per vessel going from, you know, about 2.4 you know, million bushels of vessel to about 2.9 million bushels of, ve- bushels of soybeans per vessel. You know, that, that equates to a, a, a more competitive delivered price of, of soybeans. So it, it's something that we're really in tune to. We're really advocately promoting. The United Soybean Board has, has leaned in and is providing uh, an investment to help offset the cost of it. So what we really want to see right now is the federal government to provide the necessary funding to get the project started. So the state of Louisiana has provided some funding for it. The farmer directors of the United Soybean Board have. Now it's up to the federal government to follow suit when that happens we're able to move forward. That would be a big benefit to our industry. Yeah, yeah, that stretch of river, a bit of trivia, that 256-mile stretch from Baton Rouge to the Gulf of Mexico accounts for 60% of U.S. soybean exports. But another channel that we uh, export soybeans, Mike, uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, especially before all of these uh, trade tensions started with China, uh, China, a huge customer of U.S. soybeans, and many of those soybeans were sourced out of the upper Midwest and northern plains. Uh, with our ongoing trade negotiations, Mike, have you seen uh, shipments uh, uh, picking up uh, uh, again going out to the uh, Pacific Northwest? There 
there is another uh, announcement from USDA today about another sale of China for the 2019-2020 year. What's the status there, Mike? Yeah, fortunately, we have seen some increased activity out of those facilities in the Pacific Northwest. That's our number two export region. After the Mississippi Gulf, about 25% of soybean exports leave from these terminals located along the Columbia River uh, between Washington and Oregon or on you know, Puget Sound you know, in Seattle and Tacoma. So really critical area. So it, it's been good to see some a pickup in activity, but that's an area that really has suffered disproportionately. Uh, from this trade standoff with China, that's a supply chain that was that, in many respects, was was constructed and augmented with the Chinese market in mind. So much of the increased production in states like North Dakota and South Dakota, Western Minnesota, all of the, the rail investment to get products to the Pacific Northwest, all of the export terminal, either construction or expansion, expansion, the deepening of the Columbia River. All of these investments really had were not solely due to to meet Chinese demand, but were significantly influenced by that. And so, when all of a sudden we've seen this significant pullback of demand from China, mm-hmm. the the that that supply chain that feeds into it, and the farmers ultimately that really grow those soybeans have been disproportionately affected. So, clearly, a big source of concern. We really need to see this this issue resolved between the U.S. and China. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned you've been in Washington, D.C., and uh, a lot of things going on on Capitol Hill, and it appears that lawmakers are trying to do two tracks. They're trying to get things done, like advance USMCA. They're also advancing with the uh, impeachment investigations, trying to show uh, ahead of the elections, I've been told, uh, show that they can operate along two tracks. The infrastructure tract in Washington, D.C., Mike, are we are we stalled out uh, on on any advancing of legislation, of funding, of approving new projects? How are we doing? Well, we're really hopeful that we can get a few things of consequence actually completed you know, before the end of the year. You know, clearly, this whole issue of impeachment and wherever someone falls along that spectrum of they support it or opposed to it, the reality is if and when that comes to pass, I, I imagine that Washington, D.C. will essentially shut down and it'll be it'll be totally occupied with that. Yeah. And so as a result, there are some things that there is a window of opportunity to get some important things done, one of which is an energy and water appropriations bill, which provides for things like channel deepening. You know, we talked about the lower Mississippi River, maintenance uh, dredging, Columbia River, a lot of these important projects related to locks and dams. That particular piece of legislation, if it gets passed, can really provide some of that funding. So we're really hopeful that Congress can really focus mm-hmm. their attention on getting a few of these things done before things really shut down and and attention goes elsewhere. Yeah. I think the last time that you and I were able to talk in person, Mike, it might have been at uh, a Commodity Classic event, uh, perhaps last spring. I can't remember for sure, but the last time we visited, I know we talked about river levels and concerns, and those concerns have not gone away, Mike, and with some of the recent uh, weather that we've seen, it looks like we could have barge transportation concerns all the way out to 2020. What's, What's happening there? It's been a real unique year, and, and, you know, not only just the how elongated it's been, you know, we're, we've been having problems really since the spring with some periodic periods of, of, uh, 
of throughput on the inland waterway system. But so how elongated the time it's been, but how widespread it's been. It's not just been isolated to the Ohio River. It's also been the Arkansas River, the, the Mississippi River, the Illinois River. All these river systems, Missouri River, they've all been adversely impacted by this. And so it, it really has been a challenge. And so you're having to see some shifts onto other modes of transportation like rail. Um, and there's always a, a cost associated with that. So it, it, it has been a real challenge. Um, you know, we're, we anticipate seeing that with us for uh, a, a period of time as well. So um, obviously there's, there's a lot of work cut out for us. Yeah, yeah. Will you be uh, in Kansas City, Mike, for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention? Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to being there toward the end, and so looking forward to catching up with everyone. Okay, super. We will see you there, Mike. Thanks for your time on this Thursday. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rusty. Okay, take care, Mike. Mike Steenhook, he's executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Up next, we're going to talk markets. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike here on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Good morning, everybody. Rusty Halverson sitting in for Mike Adams this week. Our next guest is uh, uh, one I enjoy when he's uh, regularly on Mike's program, uh, Steve Nicholson from Robo AgriFinance. Steve, how are you doing on this Thursday? Thanks for joining us. No problem. Good, Rusty. Good to talk to you. Good to, good to see you at Farm Progress. Um, it's a little bit of a cloudy day here in St. Louis, and it's going to be a little cool, and we're going to get some rain. So. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. We don't really need any more rain right No, now. no. We can talk weather in a moment. First, though, Steve, I'd, I'd just like to like to talk about uh, the export sales numbers this morning from USDA. From, yeah. what, from what I saw, soybeans down quite a bit from the previous week, but we did see uh, a sale on the uh, the daily wire from USDA today. Yeah, I think that's there's a couple big news is that we saw the big flash sale to China um, this morning from USDA. You know, if we look at and, and I follow inspection and export inspections pretty close because it's really your kind of your it's not you know there's a lot of revisions in those numbers and I acknowledge it up front. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty good indicator of what's going on and and China's been a pretty regular buyer of beans every week this fall. You know, that's in contrast to what it was a year ago. Now that's more typical. But it's you know it's certainly not the levels that we've seen in past years um, when we 18 with the exception, but you know that flash sale you know that's that's good news. Uh, the market's up four or five this morning, so it's I wouldn't say it's you know it's not terribly excited. But the other big news was that Bloomberg had reported this morning that you know China has said we're going to buy 20 billion or yeah 20 billion dollars worth of U.S. agricultural products in the next year. Yeah, yeah. And you know if we get this if we get this deal signed. And and then it's kind of like okay, well, when's the year start and what's, when's that twenty billion? And then there was some, well, we might buy forty, fifty billion in the second year, and it's like okay, is that accumulative or is that mm-hmm. together? So it, it again, <clears throat> it leaves that 
um, taste of uncertainty or mouth about exactly what it means. And yeah. so, you know, I think I think as as we've talked with Mike uh, more than once, I think we just have to take this. this you know, step by step, day by day, because there's just no certainties here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 along those uh, those lines, uh, Steve, uh, uh, China phase one. I mean, uh, do we trust yep. that phase one is actually going to take effect? I mean, we've been let down in the past. Uh, you've got to yep. watch. Uh, you've got to watch Twitter to see what's coming out of the White House. You've got to ch- uh, <laughs> check out China's national paper every morning. I mean, what do we believe? Yeah, I mean, I think what we can can believe, and I try to think about this logically is I mean the good news is that China and the US are talking again on the trade issue so we do know that uh, the other thing we know phase one doesn't deal with the hard issues of intellectual property technology transfer yes. you know there's some hard issues there that have to be dealt with yes it's not in phase one yeah um, beyond that I don't know that we can say anything for sure after that um, because while there, you know, it was a big announcement this phase one, there was very little detail. And I read, you know, I read a lot about the announcement and about, you know, other than going behind it, but it's just, it's a very, there's just not any detail as to what will happen. And I think, yeah. again, it goes back to what we just said. I think you have to be very careful. I think you have to be very cautiously optimistic. Yeah. It's something to get solved. But this is a, this is a decades-long issue. And this is a, you are... We are trying to overturn um, well so it, much bad blood here. Yeah, and it it, it it seemed to start off as a as a small, narrowly focused uh, uh, trade dispute. Uh, we wanted to change yep. some some things, but now it seems like it's expanded over the past eighteen months into this ideological trade war. Yep. No, and that's right. And I think you know, I we could get in a, a kind of a geo you know a geopolitical or a strategic discussion and i think that's a really valid point that you i mean that you raise is that you know this this trade war is not about soybeans or pork or technology transfer or it is about all those things but it's not because it's exactly what your question is yeah. this is this is a this is a philosophical this is a geopolitical this is a strategic um, fight over who's the number one economy in the world who is going to, I hate to say rule the world, but who's going to be, you know, kind of the arbiter in the world if yeah. you have it. Yeah, you know, okay. and, and so, And I think there's a lot of things that were, there's no question in my mind that these issues needed to be addressed with China, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. And, and I, don't, I don't really care which side of the aisle are on, because I think everyone agrees that issues had to be addressed with China. But the fact is, this has gotten so big, and it's, and, and we've done, I, I'm, I'm concerned that we've done some things like, we drop out of TPP. We've ceded yeah. some. We've ceded some ground to China that is going to be very difficult to take back. And so I, I'm very concerned, and I, I I hope we can get this done. I think Robert Lighthizer is the right guy for the job. Um, I he just needs to be let them do what they do best, and they're the experts. Yeah, Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. Steve, let's uh, let's change gears here. Uh, the IGC, International Grains Council, uh, yep. they cut their forecast for global grain production and consumption for 2019-2020, kind of trimmed up production expectations in Australia and Argentina, but raised expectations in the EU and Russia. Now, Egypt, from what I read in, in one of their latest tenders, the U.S. missed out 
on on any kind of uh, action in that business from Egypt's state grain uh, trading authority, their buying authority. But Egypt had to pay more in this last tender than the previous tender. Does does that uh, foretell anything for uh, U.S. wheat prices? Do you think? Well, I think it does. I mean, there's a couple things going on. I think you bring up a lot of good points here. You know, the ICE, um, the International Grains Council, in making some of their decisions, and we're going to focus on the demand side. You know, if you look at you know, food demand, and I'm going to put that in that big, broad bucket of, you know, whether it's animal protein, whether it's grains, oil seeds, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we like it or not, GDP has a lot to do with that. If, if a country's economy is growing, they tend to eat more food and they eat better food. And so I think the general view is that when you look at a lot of the forecasts globally, we see a slowing global economy. You know, there's been a lot of headlines recently about China slowing down. You know, we're seeing our... You know, our economy more in that 2 2.5% growth area versus the 3 to 4% that I think everyone was thinking it was going to be just a short year, 12 months, you know, 24 months ago. So yeah, yeah. that's why you're seeing that. You know, when you get specific about wheat, it, you know, the U.S. is in a very difficult position when it comes to wheat in that, you know, we are, we have become somewhat the residual supplier of the world because the Black Sea has become so competitive. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you know, logistically they're well preserved you know, well, well positioned for that North Africa area, obviously, as they come out through the Black Sea. And so that's, it's going to be difficult. And it's interesting that Egypt did pay this extra money. You know, that may be helpful to us. I think one of the things is that, you know, we tend to have the good quality wheat. Um, and if that's available, customers will come to the United States to get it. And so I do think that, you know, we're probably this year, um, Australia, of course, isn't, you know, has a is a third year of a horrible drought. Yeah, uh, is going to have a very small crop this year, so that probably opens up possibilities for the United States in that Southeast Asia area that we wouldn't that we we do have that market or that market is important to us yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, but because Australia can't get wheat there, and because they need to use it internally, which is what they're doing, they're exporting it to themselves, um, and and Australia has very strict uh, ex- import rules. It does provide possibilities for the United States wheat producer to have inroads into that Southeast Asia area that they wouldn't get normally. The Black Sea then focuses on that North Africa, then that means their wheat's not coming into the Southeast Asia. And, you know, particularly, and maybe it also focuses more wheat going to China, again, opening up other avenues for U.S. wheat producers that maybe we haven't thought of in the past. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we're going to improve what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, if we could uh, focus just briefly, uh, Friday afternoon, we're visiting on a thurs- uh, Thursday, uh, Steve, but Friday afternoon we've got a cattle on feed report coming out from USDA. Yep. Some folks uh, yep. expecting maybe tighter domestic supplies. I see a number today, cattle slaughter estimated at 118,000 head. That's about... 4,000 head more than a week ago. Anything that you'll be looking for in those numbers tomorrow afternoon on, on the cattle yeah. and feed report? Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll do a disclosure up front. I'm not the cattle analyst. Uh, oh, no problem. Here. No problem, yeah. no then, problem. But, he, uh, but I think, you know, he watches those numbers very closely, as we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's been a lot of turmoil in the cattle industry, as you well know, over the last uh, month or uh, two months now, I guess, when yeah. you think about the fire in, in yeah. Kansas. And I think that's, you know, that's still on cattlemen's mind as well. Um, you know, when do we get that, you know, facility, facility back online so that we can get a little more, and I'm just going to say equity, I think, within, you know, that the, the supply chain of cattle so that, you know, cattlemen get their, their fair bit of the, of the, of the pie as, does the, as the packer. So, 
you know, I think we'll watch those numbers very carefully. Mm-hmm. Have we seen any decrease in those numbers? Um, I think the big concern going forward on cattle, and, and Don's talked about this, is with cheap feed, and, and we'll just say it like that, yeah. um, you know, in that you know, that does tend to move people into feed, you know, well, I'm just going to sell it, I'll just buy a few cattle, and I'll just raise some cattle, yep. or I'll raise some more hogs, or I'll raise some more chickens. And so I think the concern is longer term, you know, kind of beyond this report is, do we see an, a slow increase in numbers, which down the road could mean to, a, you know, that wall of red meat coming on the market that could be a little depressive. So yeah. I think those are things to think about when we look at these numbers today and think, or tomorrow afternoon, excuse me, yeah. and, and what does this mean for the future, and what what does the cheap feed mean for the future, and what what potentially is coming down the road? Yeah, well, I, I tell Just you what. Accordingly. Yeah, yeah, um, and for a, a, a grain and oil seed analyst, uh, Steve, that was a wonderful answer. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> and, uh, well, they're yeah. important yeah. Yes. Absolutely. It's uh, it's all synergy. It's all working together. And that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, Steve. Uh, it's been great having you on the show today. I always enjoy when you're on with Mike, and it was great seeing you in Decatur, Illinois. And I'm really looking forward to the next time we get a chance to talk. Absolutely great, Rusty. It's great to talk to you as always. Okay, okay. Take care. We'll talk to you later. Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seed analyst for Robo AgriFinance. I'm Rusty Halverson, filling in for Mike this week here on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Good morning, Rusty Halverson sitting in for Mike Adams. Another soybean sale announced to China this morning. Mike recently talked with Joe Glober, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institutes, about China. Joe, thank you for joining us. It seemed like we were, if while not having a final deal done, very deal done, close and having made significant progress towards a deal with China, but now it seems like there are questions and concerns and and people kind of wondering and maybe doubting just how good a deal this might be or how close we are to having a final deal done. What are your thoughts? Well, you, you, you're right. Uh, part of it is just there's been a lack of detail. Uh, you know, there's been some numbers thrown out, like this 40 to $50 billion in trade. And um, I, I think the good news is some of the reports I saw from overnight suggest that, that China officials are also talking about a completed uh, so-called small package, and if that's the case, then at least hopefully we can move to a phase where we start seeing some of the detail on this. But um, you know, the again, part of the problem. I, I did see one report talking about 30 million tons of soybeans. That certainly would put us back to where we had been, kind of pre 
trade war, um, and that that would be a good thing. Um, it, but you know, we, at current prices, or even if you expect a little bit of a price boost from that, you're talking in the range of eleven to twelve billion dollars. So it's a it's a long way from that forty billion that was reported. And the only thing I can think of, and, and in fact, uh, Secretary Purdue sort of made mention of this, and um, in some of the other reports, is that this isn't a one-year total. At least in the near term, it's a, it's over a couple of years, and that that again would be consistent with kind of getting us back to a pre-trade war level. Were you surprised they started talking about those kind of levels, forty, fifty billion? Well, I tell you what, I'm more surprised at. I mean. You know, we all we often in doing trade negotiations. You know, you you would you would always try to put that in value terms when you're talking about it to the public, but that's not how a trade agreement would, of course, look because you you'd get into all sorts of debate over should, is that a you know a, a, a U.S. price is that a landed China price is what price are we talking about. You know, at what point in time? So, so you know, one normally talks quantities, and that's why when I saw the 30 million tons, I thought, okay, I, that I that I understand. That puts it more in the range of that. Yeah, I I I, I don't see where you get 40 to 50 billion um, for a one-year total. I mean, uh, again, uh, the details when they come out may prove me wrong on this, but. Uh, I mean, think about again. As I say, the soybeans being around 11 to 12 billion, uh, you'd have to import a lot more soybeans. And one thing China has said is that they're not going to cut into Brazil's share. So, where does that come from? And remember, this is a time when actually soybean import demand has has declined in China about 10 percent over the last two, uh, two years because of ASF and other things. Um, you could make it up with with uh, you certainly could could export a lot of pork uh, to China, and, and hopefully we'll see some of that in the uh, uh, basket of goods that, that they're talking about. But but again, that's a, that's a short run thing because you, you expect that at some point they're going to get a whole uh, control of African swine fever, and and you'll start to see cod production rebound. So uh, yeah, it's hard. Again, it's just hard to make much of this until you see the details but right now there's a lot of questions we're talking with joe glauber senior research fellow for the international food policy research institute joe optimism is one thing but uh throughout this whole trade war with china i mean we've kind of had our hopes build up and then let down uh whether it's you know we hear we were close to a deal and china backs out or things like that i mean I understand wanting to show uh, progress and goodwill and optimism, but is this a risk they have taken now of over-promising and under-delivering? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I, that that has been sort of the the rule here. I mean, the the you know the, a lot of these even deals, even say things like NAFTA, just the new NAFTA agreement just doesn't. There there is a lot there. I mean, we granted, I I think that there's some. Some positive things in that in the new NAFTA agreement, but it's it's not a it's not a huge deal for American agriculture. And certainly, if you paint it in terms of of how the old NAFTA agreement was ter- the worst deal ever negotiated, and this one comes out, it looks pretty much like the old deal. But uh, um, you know, some of it's politics and and rhetoric and everything else. But 
But, you know, hopefully, I mean, believe me, if we could get back to pre-trade war levels, that's that's a good deal for agriculture right now. It's just uh, 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 it, it's a shame to pay the price that, that agriculture has paid over the last 18 months to have, you know, uh, uh, not a lot more to show for it. I mean, I tell you what would make great news is to get rid of soybean tariffs. You know, to lower tariffs, out-of-quota tariffs on grains, those things would be real positive steps that you could point to and say, but I, but I don't think we're, we're really looking, looking at that. I mean, I think we're looking at, at quantities, and, and it, you know, it, 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 it sounds more like managed trade, which I'm not a big fan of, but uh, on the same token, I'll take that over no trade. The one thing we got for sure out of it was a delay in more tariffs, right? Right. Right. No, that that's right. And and so there's there's a truce, if if you will, and that's sort of where we've been over the last month or so uh, with 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 uh, the discussions of this deal, and then you know moving forward, we've had a truce on further escalation. Uh, but you know tariffs are pretty high. I think the average tariff right now is around 20 percent for both countries, um, uh, and so you know. Uh, Moving back on that, I mean, to me, going back to a 3% tariff on soybeans would be the best news of all. Um, but, um, again, I, I don't think that's really in the cards right now. That is Mike's recent visit with Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now a senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Filling in for Mike, I'm Rusty Halverson. We will see you tomorrow once again right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up. Where there's a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. Visit Make-A-Wish at Wish.org. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive.
Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.